0: The song that we just sang in our morning worship time, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, may be the oldest Christmas carol that is still sung today. Did you know that? The oldest. The author is unknown, but it is believed that it had been a priest or a monk um, who wrote that song in the year, now catch this, 800 A.D. That's a long time ago, okay? 800 A.D., he obviously had a rich knowledge of both the Old and New Testament because the, the carol is rich with um with, with helping us understand what Christmas is really all about. Originally the carol contained, I catch this, seven different verses. I don't think any of us ever sing all seven verses of uh of the of the that carol, maybe four sometimes but they represent seven different biblical views of the Messiah. They would sing one one verse per day, and it was sung or chanted during the last seven days before Christmas. We have this carol today because it was translated into English from the original Latin in the year 1818, the year 1818, and I gotta show you this guy's picture. Here's the guy who wrote it, John Mason Neal. He translated, he was an Englishman who translated it into into the English language after he read it in Latin and discovered the amazing message that was found there. The tune, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, comes from a 15th century processional originated in Portugal, and um, it was originally published in English in 1850. And so it's a very 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 old song. But the song really says it all because that old idea of O come O come Emmanuel has been the cry of the heart of the people of God all the way back to 800 years before Jesus actually came. We've been crying out to God, O come, O come, O come, O come, O come. And even today, even though we are living in between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, we still have part of us that yearn out, that cry out for God to come. Sometimes those are particular situations we find ourselves in, in particular times in our life where we cry out to God and we say, God, you got to show up or things are going to be a mess here. You got to do something, God, because we need you. And there are other times I find ourselves when there are devastating events. You know, I'm thinking back of, of things that are in our lifetime, like 9-11 or a war or, or some mass shooting or a pandemic or something where we would cry out, oh, God, please come. You can just come back right now. It's okay. I'm ready to go home. Jesus, just bring me, just come and just take me out of this world because I am tired of it. And so that, that yearning that we have of O come, O come, Emmanuel, is still the yearning of your heart and of my heart. And my prayer this year is that as we go through the Advent season, that this theme of, of let us adore him and focused upon different Christmas songs will help us to, to, to once again capture the heart of the spiritual journey of a believer in Jesus Christ. That we will constantly cry out, Oh, come, oh, come. My prayer this week, the very first week of Emmanuel, the very first week of, of Advent, I mean, that you will sing that song in your heart Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. O come, O come, O Emmanuel. And as you sing out that, you will be drawn into the idea that God is with us. He's with us. He's right here, right now. Amen? And so this morning, we're going to go back in time a little bit. I mean, we could look at the Christmas story, and we could look at Matthew. We could look at Mark. We could look at John. We could look at some of the Gospels. But we're going to go back in time, almost 800 years before Christ, to look at the time when when the very first prophetic word was about the coming of Jesus. And we're going to look at the context of that, of, that, of that amazing prophecy that Isaiah gave. Isaiah, one of the greatest prophets in all of time. I mean, he was the one who constantly pointed to the Messiah coming. The Messiah was coming. The Messiah was coming. And we find in Isaiah chapter 7 today, the very first time that we have an idea of the coming of Jesus. The coming of the Messiah. So let's read together today Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 14. And out of respect to God's word, would you mind standing with me as we read God's word together? Isaiah chapter 7, starting at verse number 1. Here's what the scripture says. Isaiah chapter 7, it's in on page 525 in my Bible. I don't know which one it's in yours, but I'm reading from the New International Version this morning. And it starts in verse number one. It says this. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied himself with Ephraim, So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to Washerman's Field. Say to him, Be careful. Keep calm and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because... Of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram, of the son of Remaliah, Aram and, and Ephraim and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, "Let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves, and make the son of Table king over it." Yet, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramilia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. it It is not enough to try the patience of men. Will you try the patience of God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. Lord, I pray that you'll speak to us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Isaiah is considered to be one of the greatest men of God in the ancient world. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit to uh, to, to to be the, the prophet of God there in that time. And when Jesus was on this planet, he actually used Isaiah's words to quote about his coming of the Lord of, of, in, in, the, in, in, the, in the early days of his ministry. He was a contemporary of Amos and Hosea and Micah, each radically devoted to the Lord, um, the Lord of Israel and his purposes in this world. But this man was so amazing that he was able to speak to kings, he was able to speak to leaders. He was like the Billy Graham of his day. He had, the vo- he had the ear of all of the political influences of the day and time. He was a man who was dedicated to the mission and purpose of God. And Isaiah is called by God to speak at different times and different places. And it's one of the best books in the Bible to talk about the prophecies of Jesus Christ. You will find right here in chapter 7, we find this key verse. It says, it says therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The, son, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Most of us don't recognize that verse in Isaiah. Most of us recognize it because it was in Matthew. It says the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's really the Christmas story. It's what Christmas is all about. But Christmas started long before Jesus was born. It started in the heart of God. It was actually a prophetic word of Isaiah that was given to a sign to a particular leader in Judah at that time named Ahaz. And he gives that sign because he wants them to know that God is still in control. And so this morning, as we look at this scripture this morning, I want to ask you a question. When do you need a sign from God? When is it that you need a sign from God? I don't know about you, but there have been many times in my life where I've cried out, God, I need you to show up. I need you to show yourself. I need some indication that you know my particular circumstance, my particular issues, and what's happening in this world we call the United States of America today. I need you to know that, that you're here today and that you are alive and that you're working in powerful ways. And God, guess what he does? He does show up. He does speak. Amen. Good to see you, Nick, by the way. God bless you, my friend. Hey, you got to give a testimony? Yes, go for it. Amen. God bless you, Nick. We love you. Amen. And we have been praying for you, and God has answered prayer. So we give him praise. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. So, so when do you need him to show up? And let's look at this Isaiah chapter 7 for a moment, because I think, it, I think in the first reading of this, you may not catch some things that I think are really important. First of all, when you need God to show up, he usually shows up when life is scary and uncertain. When life is scary and uncertain, kind of what Nick, what you went through this the last few weeks, you know. Scary and uncertain times. And all of us at times in our life go through times where life seems to be a little uncertain. And sometimes it can even be a little scary. You know, when the doctor says, hey, I've got a diagnosis for you. Or when you get that pink slip and you lose your job. Or when the economy crashes and you see your 401k go from a really good piece of nest egg for your future down to something you go, oh no, what am I going to do, you know? We've all experienced those kinds of things. Some of us just don't know what to do. So when life is scary, and this is where Jeremiah, I mean, Isaiah sets up for us this situation that we find the nation of Judah in. It says, when Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, now catch that. Ahaz is the king. He's about 20 years old. He's a young man. He is the son of Jotham and the son of Uzziah. So this is his dad and this is his grandfather Uzziah. And he was the king of Judah. This is the time when Israel was divided between two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. And Ahaz is the king of the southern kingdom, which is the divided kingdom um, that, was, that was Judah. King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Remida king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overcome it. So this king, Rezin... And this king, Pekah, these two leaders decided to get together. They were from the northern kingdom of Israel and the, and the northern um, um, country called Syria. And they combined together and they are going to attack Judah. They are going to attack Judah. And so this is a time of unrest. Now, most of us here in the United States don't understand this. We haven't been attacked since maybe 9-11 was an attack against us. Maybe Pearl Harbor was probably another time when our homeland was attacked, you know. But, but just imagine yourself, for example, living in Ukraine today. And imagine, you know, the armies that had, been, that had been dispersed around Ukraine about a year ago now. They were massing this massive amount of artillery, massive amounts of armies, the missiles. And they were all kind of crunching in on, on Ukraine. And imagine the fear that was going on. And the uncertainty that was happening. That's exactly what is happening here to the nation of Judah. And Ahaz is the leader. It was a scary and uncertain time. You'll notice and it's that Ahaz, by the way, this leader, was a fickle man. Who is Ahaz? Ahaz, most scholars would call him a guy that um, was a good leader, but he was a good leader leading his nation in the wrong direction. Okay? Now catch that. He was a good leader leading his nation in the wrong direction. There have been many leaders down through history that have been good leaders but didn't necessarily lead the right way. You can lead the wrong way. And Ahaz was one of those leaders that was leading the wrong way, even though he had a heritage of godly father and godly grandfathers that followed the ways of the Lord. And we discover this because when we go back in the Bible to 2 Chronicles, we discover this about about Ahaz's ancestors. First of all, Uzziah. Uzziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaz had done. So Uzziah is the grandfather of Ahaz and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just like his grandfather. And then Uzziah has a son who then becomes the king, and here's what it says about him. Jotham did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Uzziah had done. So you can see there is a, there is a, there is a godly heritage that there that the nation of Judah has leaders that are leading in the right direction. But then notice what the chronicler says about Ahaz, who is now the current leader of Judah. It says this. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 16 years. And notice what it says. Unlike... Jotham, Uzziah, and David, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, he was a good leader leading in the wrong direction. I don't know what happened to him because he was probably taught the right things as a child. He had watched his dad lead the right way. He had watched his father be a godly man who was trying to serve the Lord. But when he became king and he was 20 years old, he no longer followed in the steps of his father or his grandfather or his great-great-grandfather. He was now following in his own ways. Could I just tell you? Every generation has to make its own choice. Every generation has to make its own choice. I can't choose for my kids, and I can't choose for my grandkids, and I can't choose for their kids. All I can do is be faithful to the Lord and do my very best to be an example and to pass on the faith to the next generation. But the next generation has to pick up the mantle or the the baton themselves and carry it on to the future. And so I don't know where you are today. I don't know where your kids are. I don't know where your grandkids are. But here's the thing you've got to do. You've got to stay faithful to the Lord and keep following God even when they do not choose to follow the Lord. Because ultimately we know that it doesn't turn out well when you don't follow God. Just watch this story right here. Okay? But this is exactly where Ahaz Ahaz was a fickle man. And you'll see a little bit later in this message, Ahaz was kind of a guy who wanted to be religious, but he didn't want to be a follower of God's. He wanted enough religion to satisfy his conscience without really living out a totally surrendered life and trusting the Lord when it got tough. He wanted to do it his own way. And so he was a fickle man. And then it says in verse 2, it says this. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So remember those two northern nations? I'm going to show you a map in a second. they allied together. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. In the middle of their uncertainty, in the middle of their fear, in the middle of this vast army that was gathering in the north that was going to come down and destroy them, they began to frighten, they began to shake in their boots. And they began to say, Lord, what am I going to do? Some were crying out to God, and some were trying to devise a scheme to try to overcome this army that was coming their way. You'll notice in this map here, I just want you, this was a map of this day and time. And you'll notice here that, that Israel, you'll see the, the, the words in bold there, is in the pink. And then you see up here is Damascus. This pink area is what is called Syria. And this green area down here is what is called Judah. And then you've got this nation all the way up here called Assyria. This is the superpower of the day, by the way. This is like, this would be like Russia today or China in our world. This was the, this was the big dog in town, okay? And what happened was Israel, and I'll show you in a, a different map there, Israel and Damascus, these two nations together, they were in line together. And they said, you know what? We need Judah to be on our team because we know that Assyria is coming from the north. And they're eventually, they've got imperial aspirations. They want to expand their territory. They want to take over other countries. They want to expand their, their influence. They had had a new leader in town. And so they devised this plan. These two leaders devise a plan and say, We've got to get Judah on our team. We need Ahaz to join us. But Ahaz didn't want to join them. Ahaz didn't want, he was afraid that they were gonna come down and take over him, and he wasn't gonna be in power anymore. So what Ahaz does is he decides. I'm going to actually try to circumvent these two and I'm actually going to try to get a I'm going to actually try to get a treaty with Assyria. I'm going to actually make a treaty with Assyria so that when they come down here and invade here that I will be on their team and I will circumvent this massive army that's coming at us. Sometimes we trust in ourselves more than we trust in God. So that's the situation that that Judah, this small little country down here, the southern kingdom of the divided kingdom of Israel, found itself in. Ahaz being fickle, not following the Lord, not following the steps of his father David, or his father Uzziah, or his father Jotham... Not a following godly example. He doesn't listen to the voices of reason that says, trust the Lord, don't trust other armies, don't trust other nations. This is not God's nation. This is not the way he decides to go in a different direction. What do you need when you seen the sign from God? Catch this. Look for an answer from God, not from some other, another, other source. Notice what happens in this story. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, okay, I want you to go out, you and your sh- son, Sheer Rashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct at the upper pool on the road to Washerman's Field. It'd be, like, it'd be like God saying, you know, hey, I want you to go out on the edge of Bakersfield to the place where there's some water and there isn't much water here. Okay, There wasn't much water in Israel, Okay, but there was an aqueduct. It was like a, it was like a, a place that brought water into the city. He says, he says, Isaiah, I want you to go out there because Ahaz is out there and he's trying to determine how he's going to defend the city of Jerusalem because that is the most vulnerable place that the army could take over. I want you to meet him out there. And when you go out there, I want you to bring your baby with you. That's his baby right here. I want you to bring your son. He was a a small toddler at the time. I want you to bring him with you. I want you to go out there and I want you to meet Ahaz at the end of that. And I want you to say this to him. Notice what Isaiah says to Ahaz. He say to him, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. Massive army coming our way. Okay? The two northern nations are combined together. They're double the size of his army. He says, keep calm. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because, and notice how Isaiah describes these two northern nations, Israel and Syria. He says, because these two smoldering stubs of firewood... Not this raging forest fire, but these two smoldering stubs of firewood. In other words, they aren't your problem, Hayaz. You got no issue here. You're focusing on the wrong thing. Because of the fierce anger of Rezim and Aram and the other sons of of Remelia. And then notice what he says. God gives Ahaz three missing realities in the next few verses. In other words, he says, Ahaz, you're not seeing the full picture here. You're not seeing the reality of really what's going on in the world at this time, in this place, when you are a 20-year-old leader. You don't have the you don't have the depth of experience nor do you have the right perspective because you put your eyes on yourself and your army instead of putting your eyes on God. And therefore you do not see what is really happening right before you. And so Isaiah speaks up. He says, "Be calm. Relax. Don't be afraid." These two smoldering stubs are really not your issue. And he says three things to him here. He says, first of all, I want you to see, standing before Ahaz was God's living reminders of God's ability to save and preserve his people. Who did God send to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct? He sent Isaiah and his baby. He says, Isaiah, he says to Ahaz, by his own example of him standing before him, Isaiah literally means, by the way, the word Isaiah literally means, catch this, Isaiah means Yahweh is salvation. And his baby's name, She-rush-shush-Jashub sh- j- means a remnant shall remain. And so, right before him were these two living reminders that God's ability to save Yahweh's salvation and preserve the remnant of his people were right before him. God is saying, Listen, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. Now, think, just go ahead 800 years to, to the story of Mary. Remember Mary? She got the angel come to him, and the angel says, You're gonna be with child. You're going to have a baby. You're going to have a baby. And she's going, well, I'm not even married yet. And I haven't even, I haven't even had anything to produce a baby. How is that possible? And the angel tells her. And then the, Mary just simply says, nothing is impossible with God. And the angel says to her, just so you know that this is true, your cousin Elizabeth is also going to have a baby. And so there was a living example right before her of that God was able to do the miraculous even though she had never seen it before. And I think there are times in your life, in my life, when we're going through the scary uncertainties of life, when God brings people into our life that are living reminders of God's faithfulness and God's power and God's might. To take care of whatever situation we find ourselves in, God gives us living reminders. He also says to Ahaz, God is always bigger than your fear. God is always bigger than your fear. Bigger than the situation you find yourselves in, God is bigger than that. You got these two guys coming down here with these two smoldering armies, no problem. I've wiped out Egypt and all of its armies one time. I can take care of those armies as well. You don't have to worry. Just trust me. And then the third reality was this. If you don't trust me or if you don't fight the fight of faith, everything will come unglued. Notice what Isaiah says to, 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 to Ahaz through, through the Lord. It says, yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. Now, there you go. It will not take place. These two smoldering, they're they're really, really is not your problem. It will not take place. He says, for the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only Resin." Within 65 years, he says, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Ultimately, here's what God says to Ahaz. You have have two choices. Either trust me, and I'll take care of this, or trust yourself, your own armies, your own alliances with other foreign powers, and your nation will become unglued your life will become a wreck. It's one or the other. Either you stand firm in your faith, or you will not stand at all. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life, and probably times in your life, where you had a choice to make. To walk with God, walk in the heritages that you have been taught as a child and as an adult at times, or to go your own way. And sometimes I look at people and I walk, watch them walk away from the Lord. And I'll say, I'll say to myself, how's that working out for you? How's that going? I mean, is, it, is it really working? And I already know the answer. It never really goes well when we choose to do it on our own. And that's exactly what God was saying to Ahaz. This young leader who is a good leader leading in the wrong direction. Because ultimately, you know what happened? He makes, a, he makes a, an alliance with Assyria. Assyria comes down and wipes out Syria. I mean, Assyria comes down and wipes out Syria and wipes out Israel. Israel. And then comes down, and after he wipes out those two northern territories that are between him and Syria, you know what Assyria does? They wipe out Judah. And the kingdom is destroyed. And it's not until thousands of years later that Israel becomes a nation all over again. Because Assyria comes and then Persia comes and then Babylon comes, or Babylon comes and Persia, I can't remember which one was first. And then ultimately Rome takes over. And during the time of Jesus, who's in charge of the promised land? Rome is. It's not until 1968, my friends, that Israel becomes a nation again. That's a long time. A long time. Because Ahaz decided he wanted to do it his way instead of doing it God's way. When you are in uncertain times and difficult times and all of us will have... Various ranges of uncertainties and difficulties and scary times in life. The question is, when you go through those times, where will you look for your answer? Will you look back at the Lord? Or will you try to discover some other mechanism or way that seems better than God's way? God says, trust me. Trust me. Hang on. Don't give up. Well, there's one more thing he says. Stop being just religious and really believe. I love this portion of the story because notice what happens. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Remember, he's already spoken to him already once. He says, ask the Lord. Now catch this. I want you to catch this. I put it in yellow here. The Lord, your God. In other words, God is saying to Ahaz that he is. Is your God. Even though he is fickle, and even though he is not going in the right direction, and even though he had still not decided to turn totally away from God at this point, God has given him one more chance. He says, I ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. In other words, God says, Listen, ask me for the answer. Ask me for a sign. Ask me for some indication that I am able to handle this pickle you find yourself in. And what does Ahaz do with the invitation from God to ask him? By the way, if you know anything about your biblical history, God asked, God God said to Solomon one time, ask me anything you want, I'll give it to you. And what did Solomon ask for? Wisdom. And what did he become? The wisest man on the planet. God wants you. He gives you and I an invitation to seek him, to ask him, to to speak to him, to be in a relationship with him. And at times, we don't even know what to ask. But if we will ask through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and let God lead us, he will take us through the darkest times of our life. He is able He says, Ask me for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights, whether in the highest heights of life when everything's going great or in the deepest times when nothing's going well. Whatever it is, you ask me, I'll be there. And here's what Ahaz says. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, on its surface, you might say, oh, that's really nice. He's being humble. He's being pious. He's being spiritual. Oh, no, 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 God. I would never put you to the test. I would never, ever, ever put you in a place where you couldn't handle what's happening to me. I mean, there's two giant armies that are about ready to zap me. Oh, God, I'll, I would never put you in that place. I want your name to always be lifted up. I want you to never be put in a place where you could possibly be, be defeated. You know what he was really doing? He's really saying, God, I don't trust you. I don't believe you. I don't think you can handle this." Or he had amnesia about his past and his upbringing, about the history of the nation of Israel and the people of God, and forgot about how many times God had miraculously and powerfully took care of a people that he said would be his people. Sometimes you probably have this kind of thing that happens. If you have a child or grandchildren go in the wrong direction, you'll say, "But we didn't teach you that way." We didn't model it for you that way. What, what happened? How did you uh, Where are you getting this from? And sometimes they'll give you a little bit of religiosity or religion. Little tidbits to say, oh, yeah, they, 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 they still believe. And then you go, well, maybe they don't believe. It's exactly where Ahaz was. But notice what Isaiah says to Ahaz. Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David... It is not enough to try the patience of men. Will you now try the patience of my God? Remember said he said before, your God. Now he's saying, no, I don't think he's your God anymore. He's my God. And you are trying his patience. He has been extremely patient with you. He has given you much grace and much leeway. He has he given you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. How long are you going to try the patience of God? And could I just tell you this? God is extremely patient. Amen. Isn't that good? I mean, God is long-suffering. The scripture says he is slow to anger and abounding in love. I mean, if it was up to me, I'd have been giving up on this world a whole lot long ago. I'm like, God, how long, how long, how long? Billy Graham once said, if God doesn't do something with America, he'll have to give an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah. God is patient. He is patient. But I want to tell you something. His patience is not unending. And there will come a day when the trumpet will blow, where the sound from heaven will come, and Jesus will come back again, and it will be over. I don't know when that day is. I think the only reason he hasn't come back is because he wants more to repent and turn from their wicked ways and turn back to the Lord. We're living in the advent of the second coming of Christ. We're living and anticipating for another sign. And the scripture says in Matthew, there are lots of signs with rumors of wars. There's lots of signs of disobedience and wickedness. There's lots of signs around us that the day is sooner today than it was yesterday. I don't know when it's coming, but Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, his patience will be over. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Isn't that what we say? Isn't that the cry of our hearts? Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Come. I'm good right now. Would you come right now, Lord? Because I might not be good tomorrow, but I'm ready right now. Well, there's one more thing I want you to see the greatest sign ever given. Because it's in this context where Ahaz will not ask for a sign. Ahaz was, was, was like, oh, no, 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 God. I'm not going to put you to a test. And Isaiah says, man, you give, you're, you're, I'm running out of patience as a man. And you're putting God's patience really on the line here. That God says this in the middle of it. Notice what he says. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Even though Ahaz wouldn't ask for it, and even though he wasn't looking for the Messiah, he wasn't looking for the ultimate answer, God says, I'm going to reveal right now, right here, that 745 years after Isaiah said this, Jesus would be born. And he would be ruined right in that place where, where, where Isaiah was speaking to Ahaz. The, the virgin will be with child, and will give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. It was just a, a, a two chapters later that in, in chapter 9 that we find that, 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 that Isaiah says this about this child that is born. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Just a couple of more chapters, here's what he says. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. The good news was proclaimed that God would have the last word. Ahaz, just trust me. That's what God says to us. I came to be with you. I came to be in you. I came to be your God. God. No matter what happens to governments or armies, what happens to the economy, what happens to your health, no matter what happens in your world, you can trust the Lord because he gave us the greatest sign of all. God became human flesh and dwelt among us. He died on a cross, but that wasn't the end. He rose again from the dead. And he sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and I. And someday he's coming back. Amen? Now, could I just tell you, if I was looking for a sign and I was Ahaz in his condition, I probably wasn't looking for a child. I probably was looking for a conquering king with a mighty army. With some nuclear weapons. With some might. With some money. Because those are the forces of our world. Yet God comes as a suffering servant. A baby born in a poor manger. In a family that hardly didn't have much. And he walked among us. And ultimately gave his life for us. The greatest sign of all. He will be called Emmanuel. God with us. God is for us. And last but not least... God wants to be in us. Amen? So this Advent season, I don't know what you're going through, but there's been a sign that's been given to you. In the middle of your trauma, in the middle of our world, there's a sign. That sign has already come, and there's new signs that are declaring to the world and to you and I, he's coming back again. Amen? Stand with me, would you? Thank you, Lord, for your word today. And thank you for helping us to see in the middle of of an ancient passage of Scripture how you gave a sign, how you gave a word, and how you gave us an opportunity to see that we can trust you. So, Lord, have your way, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. We're going to sing a song, but I preached too long. And I want you to have coffee and enjoy each other. God bless. Have a good day.